All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 in a message entitled, Noah, the Ark, and the Last Days. Genesis chapter 6. All right, quick show of hands. How many of you here today believe that we are living in the last days? Raise your hand. Yeah. It's kind of hard not to, especially what happened Thursday. Individuals woke up. They, tried to, they got their coffee started. They sat down maybe on their couch. They jumped onto their phones only to find that they didn't have cell service. 81,000 customers across the nation. And after uh, people were down for like 12 hours or so, uh, Twitter and uh, X, I should say, and YouTube blew up because of the movie, the Netflix original called Leave the World Behind. And that the a cyber attack would eliminate communications and that would be the first stage, the first wave of an invasion leading to a civil war within the United States. People were getting on there, is this it? Is it all over? People are asking questions about the last days. One thing I can say for sure is that Noah truly lived in the last days. And there's a lot that we can learn from Noah's life. For Jesus told us that the last days would be indicated by a similarity to the days of Noah. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39, Jesus himself said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. And what he was saying is this, even though judgment was imminent, they still went about their life thinking that everything was going to continue and be the same as it currently is. And as a result, they ended up in a place where they did not expect and they didn't understand. Notice with me, if you will, that in the days of Noah, a lot was going on as we learned last week in verses 1 through 8. First, we saw angels come down and intermingle with the women that they saw beautiful. And as a result... Individuals were born that were called Nephilim. That word Nephilim in the Hebrew means fallen one. Notice what God said concerning those days in Genesis 6.3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Meaning, a time is coming where he will then pronounce judgment. 120 years from this proclamation, judgment would fall upon the earth. In Genesis 6, 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And then in Genesis 6 through 8, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, notice that word, but, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Even with all that was happening, God saw the one who was his and preserved him through the judgment. The Bible tells us that God will either preserve his people through the judgment or remove the people from the judgment altogether. The children of Israel were preserved by God as they went through the various plagues that God brought upon the nation of Egypt. When they came through the Red Sea, the Bible tells us that every single Israelite got through the Red Sea and God kept it open till the very last moment until the nation of Egypt and their army entered into the sea and then He closed the sea upon them. When it comes to the church, the Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation, the church of Philadelphia will be spared, kept from the hour of trial that is coming upon the earth. Abraham realized this in Abraham, Genesis 18, 25. Abraham said himself, Far be it from you to do such things as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what was right? But notice with me in chapter 6 of Genesis, verses 11 and 12. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. It means it was corrupt. It means it was defiled in every aspect. So God looked up upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. But let us understand the heart of God. God receives no pleasure in the death of the wicked. For Ezekiel tells us very clearly in Ezekiel 33, 11, as Ezekiel is speaking to the people, he says, Say to them, God saying to Ezekiel, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn, he begs. From your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? The long suffering and the patience of God is still seen today. In 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is saying to us, I love you, but I hate this wickedness. I hate this sin, and I want you to turn from it. This is the heart of God. It should be our hearts also. It would be easy to simply conclude, listen, those out there practicing such wickedness as they are, they deserve what they get. Guys, let us remember that each and every one of us were equally guilty before God. And we certainly deserved what we were about to get if it wasn't for God's intervention in and through the person of Jesus Christ. 
let us understand the same grace that was shown to us is the same grace God is desiring to show to others. And we need to reflect that grace. Now you may ask, but did they at that time in Genesis 6 have the opportunity to see God and to understand and to know Him? Well, Romans 1.20 says that creation itself is a testimony to all who see it. For in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the, this, of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood that by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so, notice this, they are without excuse. They were even closer to creation than we are today. And yet we can know and understand that God exists and even His eternal power, yet they knew that even more so in their day. They also had the testimony of their conscience, Paul writes this very interesting insight in Romans 2, 14 through 15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things that the law, uh, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show, notice this, the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves and their thought either excusing or accusing, or else excusing them. Meaning, we know right and wrong. The reason we know right and wrong is that it's a direct result, a consequence of the fall. What tree did Adam and Eve eat from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They also had the obvious tradition of knowing that Adam and Eve were first covered by skins of an animal by God himself, showing and demonstrating the initial atonement for their sin. But today we have even further clarity, don't we? We have the person of Jesus Christ who has come. We have God's Word that points us into the direction that, to know that God is there and He exists. We see the effects of the Holy Spirit moving across this country, affecting people's lives like no one else could. We even have more certainty today than we have had in days past. The clarity, these witnesses, these testimonies are still available for us today. All right, let's pick it up in verse 9 of our text. This is the genealogy of Noah, who was a just man, perfect in his generation. For Noah walked with God. In this one verse, we learn three critical, key uh, characteristics of this godly man. Number one, he was just. He was a righteous man in the midst of unrighteousness. That righteousness had its perfect work in Noah. The word perfect there means blameless. He was blameless with God. And how did this occur? Because Noah walked with God. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? Do you know the Bible tells us? In the book of Amos, it says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? That can be translated in multiple ways, but the idea is to move in rhythm with someone, to take a walk with someone, to keep pace with them, if you will, to be in sync with them. Noah was in sync with God. 
And he was so because of God's revelation to him. Today we keep in sync with God by reading his word and through prayer. Through prayer you are aligned your will with God's will. And as you pray according to God's will, you will see your prayers answered in the affirmative. Meaning, we are shown and it's demonstrated to us that God is at work in our life. Do you guys like to walk for exercise? Okay, my family loves to walk. There's a problem though in my family. We all walk at different speeds. My wife and daughter say, Dad, do you want to come in for a walk with us? No. Well, why not? Because I don't walk with you. You're a quarter mile ahead of me, okay? I mean, they walk like they constantly have to go to the bathroom. It's amazing to me how fast they can walk. They'll be gone 15 minutes. I say, oh, how far did you walk? Oh, six miles. It's like, What? You know, years ago, I want, as I would go to the mall, Woodfield Mall, I would see various parents trying to control their kids within a mall. What a difficult task. But there were always those parents who had multiple children, and one child had the idea of running ahead, and the other child had the idea of lagging behind. And they both got in trouble. In one occasion, I saw that the parent entered into the mall about the same time I did, and the first child just took off, started running full speed through the mall. I mean, he just hit another gear, okay? But the other one, they were fascinated with the doors of the mall, and they didn't want to go through. They just wanted to open and close the doors. And so one's running ahead, one is lagging behind, and they both got in trouble, For the mom called out to the one running ahead, he turned around, and he ran smack dab into one of those directory signs there in the mall. Just went down cold. The other one got stuck in the doors and was too small, and she couldn't open them. And so she's crying. He's he's knocked out, and the mom is screaming. Often we either run ahead of God or we lag behind God. The key is to walk in sync with God. But that's not all that the Bible tells us about Noah's life. If you look at the text, look in verse 14, if you will. As God said to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, makes rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Noah did what God asked him to do. We live in a society today that doesn't need more information We need to apply the information that we already have. We need to take the knowledge that we have been given and and allow it to play out in our lives as wisdom. Now think about the task in which Noah was being asked by God to perform. I want you to build a boat for me, Noah. Okay, no problem. What's a boat? Well, I'm going to... I'm going to cause rain to come down and flood the entire earth. Oh, okay. What's rain? This was an impossibility, especially when we'll see in a moment the the dimensions of this ark. And it took him 120 years to build this ark. But Noah was faithful, and we'll see why in just a moment. 
It wasn't only his obedience to what God had asked him to do, but it was going to be a means of salvation for him and his family. If we fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, the Bible tells us, being divinely warned of the things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he uh, condemned the world by, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. There are three things here that I want you to know. Number one, he was warned. He knew God's word. Please write that in your notes. Number one, he knew God's word. He knew that there was a warning, that there was something coming. And he prepared himself for it. God gave him directions. Here's what I'd have you to do to prepare for the judgment that's coming. And Noah did it. He knew God's word, number one. Number two, he was moved with godly fear. He understood who God was. He had a reverence and a respect for God that wasn't found in others at that time. And number three, and look at this with me. He realized that this warning was part of his ability to act upon what God is asking him for the saving of his household. He looked around and he saw his family and his salvation wasn't the only one in consideration. It was also his entire household. I think that we as Christians in the last days need to remember these three things. We need to know what God says in his word. We need to move with godly fear, understanding who God is, with a reverence and a respect for Him. And number three, we need to be concerned about those who do not know the Lord, starting with our family members, and that we share the gospel with them, that they too may escape the judgment that is coming. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter says that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. We need to be a preachers of righteousness. What does that mean? We need to stand up for God's righteousness here and now in these last days. No one else is going to do it. We need to stand up and look at the fallen world, the darkness that we're enshrouded by, and say enough's enough, allowing our light to burn brighter than ever before. But sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? Sometimes we like to share our faith with people and they don't respond or they reject. They even tell us to stop and don't come back. And it can be very disheartening. Sometimes we feel like we're failing in our evangelistic endeavors because we don't see people getting saved on a regular basis. May I ask you to look at the, quanti the quality and not the quantity? Let me say that again. May I ask you to look at the quality and not the quantity? Have you ever heard of a man named Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball. Most people haven't. But Edward Kimball led a shoe salesman to Jesus Christ who changed this entire area. His name was D.L. Moody. Nobody knew of Edward Kimball, and this may have been the only person that Edward Kimball ever reached for Jesus Christ. But D.L. Moody went on 
to impact the city of Chicago like never before. Let me give you another name, a name of which may be obscure to you, Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. He was an evangelist with very little fruit in his ministry save one person. There was one unique person that came out of the ministry of Mordecai Ham. His name was Billy Graham. His name was Billy Graham. I think of the famous missionary George Smith. George Smith felt led to be a missionary in Africa. But once he got there, he only led one person to Jesus Christ. That one person was a poor elderly lady. He quickly then, after they discovered his missionary uh, purpose, escorted him out of the country. He thought he had failed as he prayed for Africa from a distance. Later on, missionaries examined the work of Africa, the missionary work in Africa, and realized that that one person that George Smith had led to Jesus Christ went on to impact through individuals, through more individuals, and through more individuals, over the course of 100 years, 13,000 people came to Jesus Christ. May I ask you to look at the quality and not the quantity. You may only lead one person to Jesus Christ, but what God may do through that one person will change the world. I think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8, through 8, when he wrote, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither him, he who plants, is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about us entering into the labor of others. And though we may only lead one person to Jesus Christ, if they go on to lead thousands to Jesus like Billy Graham has, Mordecai Ham too will be rewarded along those accords. We need to be about sharing our faith with anybody who will listen at this point. We need to see ourselves entering into the ministry that Jesus began, and that is to seek and to save those who are lost. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the, world, the fallen world and realize if time is short and we are truly living in the last days, it is now time to put it out there and see who responds. Noah is one portion of this equation. Let's look at the ark in verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He says, Now make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. About 18 inches is a cubit, so the length of it was about 450 feet. It's width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits, meaning that it's 
width was 75 feet and its height was 45 feet. We are talking about a large, large boat. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side, and you shall make it with a lower deck, a second, and a third deck, with patios and outlook. No. And behold, I myself will bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. It is certainly true that we have many misconceptions concerning the ark. Often we picture the ark as we would maybe in one of a Bible children's book that point, you know, has this little boat and has the giraffe's head sticking out of the top and the lion's looking and they're all smiling, etc. How many of you picture the ark that way? Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you for being honest because everybody else does too. They're just not admitting it. Now, I have a little confession. When Autumn was born and we were putting her nursery together, we decorated it in a Noah's Ark theme. Little decals on the walls, some were quite large. She had her little, you know, crib spread and the, all the matching pillowcases and sheets, etc. And the mobile above her crib was the ark, the animals and everything just turning around and around. And when we later on discovered that that may be depicting the ark in the wrong way to children, Dina and I were talking about it, and I said, honey... We have just surrounded our daughter with the judgment of God. No wonder she grew up to be such a godly young lady. (laughs) That young lady this Friday will turn 25 years old. She'll be taking gifts all week. (laughs) But many of us have a distorted picture of the ark. It was a means of salvation for not only God's creation, but the eight that God brought upon the ark. Notice with me the details that are given, showing and creating this ark. Notice with me in verse 17, if you will. And behold, I myself will bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven All flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, notice with me some of my favorite words in the Bible. They're very short words, and one of them is the word but. Notice that God says, I'm going to destroy everything, and then follows it up with that beautiful word, but. Oh, but there's one I'm going to save, and I'm going to save his family members with him. There's always the grace of God to be found in the Bible, even at moments of judgment. Those moments are often found with this word, but. Notice with me in 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. And of every living thing, all of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, and to keep them alive with you. 
they shall, there shall be male and female. Well, of the birds after their kind, the animals after their kind, and every creeping thing that is on the earth. How many of you wish that that one wasn't there? Because ever since Noah decided to do that, we men have been killing spiders for our wives and daughters. After its kind, two of every its kind, uh, every kind, and will come to you and to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus, notice with me in verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. God made a covenant, an agreement with Noah. This covenant was one of many covenants that God would make with his people throughout the history of the Old and New Testament. This agreement assured him. Now, Noah had his play, uh, part to play, and that was the creation of the ark itself. Noah had to fulfill what God had asked him to do. But this was not only for his salvation, but the salvation, the saving of his entire family. When we think of a covenant, we're talking about a treaty, an alliance, an agreement with God. And in it, God then preserved them through the judgment. And in 622, as God, or Noah did according to God, all that God commanded him to do. Noah's response in obedience to the instructions from God is a picture for you and I. As we look at the ark in light of the entire Bible, we see God was giving us a picture of what was yet to come. The ark became an illustration to us that a method of salvation was necessary to allow the requirements of the law to be fulfilled through an offering of grace towards man. Showing us that salvation is possible and all of this begins to point to the coming Messiah. Now it is very interesting that we look at some of the components of the ark itself. For the word pitch there has its roots in the same Hebrew word that the word atonement comes from. It is the atoning factor of the death of Jesus Christ. Remember that God says, I want you to create this ark out of wood, gopher wood. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment. But it needs to be covered with pitch on the inside and on the outside. As one scholar wrote, he says, this is the only time in the Old Testament where the, word, the Hebrew word kafar is used, translated pitch. In the 70 other passages, this word is used. It is translated atonement. A wonderful word that is essentially means at one with or at one mint. Just as salvation God provided Noah was surrounded by pitch of atonement, so God provided us at one mint with him by sending his son to die for our sins. The process of atonement given in the Old Testament through the Mosaic law was simply a covering that was provided through the death of an animal or a bird if they could not afford an animal and simply would cover or purge the sins for a moment. It was temporary. If they were to sin again, it would be necessary to sacrifice again. 
This type of sacrifice was required to be uh, repeated often because it only was able to cover, that is what kofar means, and not wash away. But the, new, the Old Testament also predicted a new covenant was coming. And this was just a shadow of that new covenant. That new covenant, of course, came in and through the person of Jesus Christ, but was telegraphed and announced back in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Notice with me. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah writes, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No, no more shall every man teach his neighbor, for every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This covenant was established in and through Jesus Christ. The night that he took his disciples into the upper room and instituted communion for the very first time, this is what he said to them in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for what? The remission of sin. There is no remission of sin apart from the shedding of blood. That blood was Jesus' blood itself. The writer of the book of Hebrew tells us that Christ's atonement for man was perfect. It did not need to be repeated. It did more than just cover. It washed away the sin. It allowed us to become a new creation in Christ with all things of old passing away and all things becoming new. In Hebrews chapter 10 verses 10 through 12, by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. For every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. This is what Jesus meant when he said, to tell us die. When he claimed, proclaimed from the cross, it is finished. This is it. And as Moses and his family members entered that ark and the animals were gathered and they entered that ark and that gopher wood. Now the term gopher wood is suspect, meaning what is gopher wood? Well, scholars debate that, but many people believe that it is cypress wood. If it was cypress wood, it would have been the same wood that Jesus Christ was crucified upon. And therefore, the atonement that we see, the ability to save through judgment that we see in the ark was, of course, fulfilled in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything pointing forward to Jesus. This is the hope that we have for whatever happens next here in our world. 
Things are getting crazy, aren't they? But we, like Noah, have the responsibility that Noah did to live godly, blameless, and righteously before God in and during these last days. We need to know what God's Word says. We need to be moved by godly reverence and fear as He was. And we need also to be aware and concerned with the salvation of those around us that do not know Him. We can't continue to allow Christianity to only be all about ourselves. We need to realize that this was meant to be given away. Now you may think, I'm never going to be a Billy Graham. I'm never going to be a D.L. Moody. That may not be who God is calling you to. But what he is calling you to do is to share the gospel with those around you who do not know him. Guys, we need to be on a rescue mission. We need to once again rediscover our calling of seeking and saving those who are lost. Not only do we have the examples of Noah's life, but we have a greater method of salvation than the ark, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. We are truly living in the last days, and people debate that. Christians have become desensitized to that fact. Some say, well, you've been talking about that for the last 30, 40 years. Guys, how long is 30 to 40 years against the backdrop of the entirety of just the human age, let alone the entirety of eternity? Guys, please, what we see happening, this long-suffering and this patience that we see God holding him back from judging this world is for the purpose to allow all to come to saving faith that will come. That's why we need to be about what God would have us to be about. We don't know what's going to happen next, but God does. We have a responsibility as Noah did. We have a greater salvation than he did. And today we must look at these last days as an opportunity. As the shroud of darkness collapses around us, let us know that it is that darkness that lets our light shine brighter now than ever before, attracting onto Christ who will come. That is our endeavor for this year and beyond. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that from the time of Noah, you saw who are yours, preserving them through, or as we know, you will remove from the fall of judgment upon this earth. But even we as the church know that your removal of us from this world before your judgment falls doesn't guarantee us that everything's going to be perfect up until that time. We don't know how bad it's actually going to get. But for us as Christians, whatever happens here, it, that, this is truly the worst it'll ever get for us. It'll only get better. But for our friends and our family and our loved ones who do not know you, this is the best it's ever going to be. After their death, they'll enter into an eternity apart from you. And Father, it'll only get worse from here. Father, we pray that you'd use our church in these last days to seek and to save those who are lost. And that we would see in 2024 many coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So Father, we ask that your spirit would lead us in that endeavor. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our...